Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Uh, just a story from the south of Ireland. I was there this afternoon. Um, there's a couple from our area in northern Ontario. They're in the mission book, Garnet and Gwen Cooney. And they uh, work in the south of Ireland, and they just took in a family. What happens in Ireland is the government is paying people that put up Ukrainian refugees. And so they pay, I don't know if it's 400 euros a week or a month, but they pay families that take in refugees. So this one family was within a, in a home, um, but people are taking advantage, of course, of these situations. And so it's a mother, father, and a 12-year-old daughter. And whatever home they're in, the, the owner was insisting that the 12-year-old daughter sleep in a room with another man, taking advantage of the uh, situation to have more people in the house and get more money. Uh, so Garnet and Gwen have taken this couple in with their daughter, and then just as they were taking them in, the grandparents escaped from uh, Ukraine as well. So now they have five in their house, none of these are saved. Uh, there's three other Ukrainian families in the assembly there, uh, believers, but this is two more families now unsaved. And so it's uh, it's amazing what happens in some places. But um, you know, you think people want to be charitable, but people, as you found out here, and we found out in Canada during the pandemic, people will take advantage of whatever's uh, being offered and going on. So that's uh, wonderful that they could take them in. Uh, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and the theme as we look at uh, 2 Timothy is a, a living legacy, make our life count uh, for time and for eternity, and invest in the lives of, of others. And what we saw in chapter 1, uh, chapter 1 is really the past. Paul's dealing with things from Timothy's past and people that have uh, had an impact, and it's so true in our life, that we interact and impact people. There are two names mentioned who had a negative impact, but the rest all had positive uh, impacts. And so uh, we might say in the past, he's looking back to those who in some way were a mentor uh, to Timothy by life or by, exam by example or by exhortation and teaching. And then also uh, the ministry that Timothy was given, uh, the gift that he received and the the fact that uh, we're not given the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound uh, mind. Uh, and then what God intended uh, Timothy to do. We get to chapter 2. It's really about the present. Chapter 3 and 4 look ahead to the future. And so in chapter 2, we'll look at a section of it tonight. It's about the present. And there's three uh, words sort of to, to note in here. In verse 7, the word consider or reflect on these things. So he gives us some things to think about. Then in verse 8, he says, remember. And he brings to mind some things, uh, historical uh, things. And then in verse 14, he says, remind them. And so uh, that's the progression of this chapter, to, to reflect on some things, uh, to remember other things, and then to be reminded of some other things as well. And so tonight, with God's help, we'll look at the first seven verses and reflect on these things and see what we uh, we can learn. Now, as we read it, you'll see that there are some metaphors in here uh, for the Christian life. Uh, 
picture, word pictures that describe what the Christian life is, is about. And we'll see that uh, it involves almost like a, um, a, you know, a plan, a game plan, a war plan. Here's, here's what it's like, and here's the investment that it takes. Here's what you are called to do. And so, in a sense, the, the Christian life is not like going on a cruise ship. It's like being on a battleship. Not like being in a play field, it's being in a war, field, war zone. And so he's going to outline uh, some of the things about the Christian life. So verse 1 of chapter 2, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these uh, to faithful men who will uh, be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the, the rules. Uh, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say. May the Lord give you understanding in all things. And so, when we think of the Christian life, and we'll just work through this this passage but it's a, it's a serious matter to start with. I mean, we see that. He says to be strong. Uh, he's, he's telling us there's something uh, serious about this, this life that we're uh, living. Why would you have to be strong? Well, there's, there's a battle to be fought. And so his injunction then is we start this way. In light of all that he said in chapter 1, he says uh, to, be, to be strong. Uh, and that's a challenge uh, through Scripture, be strong in what? He, he not only tells us it's, it's serious, but he tells us what the supply is, what we can be strong in, and it's in God's grace. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a, there's an interesting progression in Scripture with grace and with other doctrines, uh, the person of Christ, various things where uh, revelation is given over time. You don't read about grace so much in the Old Testament as you read about it in the epistles as it's developed. In the Old Testament, it's very hard to distinguish between mercy, grace, and loving kindness. Sometimes those words are used interchangeably. We read from a New Testament perspective, and, and we put a distinction there. But in the Old Testament, uh, they're often sort of uh, mingled uh, together. Uh, you know, the first time grace is mentioned in the Bible is uh, Genesis 6, 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, but, you know, in other places uh, where David says, is there not anybody uh, left of the household of Saul that I can show kindness to? Well, that could be grace, loving kindness, uh, mercy. It, it can be any one of those things. When you get to the New Testament, grace is hardly mentioned in the in the first three Gospels. In the Gospel of John, when it's mentioned, it's to do with the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten the Father, full of grace and truth, or of his fullness have we all received grace and even more uh, grace. And so it's associated with his person. It's not really till, uh, you know, Peter's giving a, a recount of his activity and says they were saved by grace even as we were. And then grace takes on a different dimension. And of course, you get to Romans chapter 5, uh, we're saved by grace. And then 
from there on, of course, it's, it's to do with our salvation, but it's also to do with God's enabling in our life, uh, the, the resource that he, uh, he gives us. And so uh, we're saved by grace, but we can be strong in his grace as well. We serve on the basis of his, of his grace. And so the word uh, grace, charis, gift is what he gives to us, uh, an enabling, the ability to function and work uh, for him. And so, for instance, in Hebrews 4, we can approach the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. That grace is available uh, for us. It's, it's something we can draw and rely on. And of course, we know that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. His enablement uh, to the humble. And so we need his grace in order to, to serve. The supply is unlimited. He is the God of all grace. But we need to draw on that day by day to appreciate the fact that it's only by his grace that we can do what he calls us to do. It's by his grace that we've been gifted, equipped to serve in a spiritual way, and it's by his grace that we are enabled to carry on that that service. And so it is a serious matter to be strong, not in and of ourselves, but to be strong in his grace and what he supplies. Remember in John 15, 4, he said, without me, you can do nothing. And so we need him and we need his grace day by day, not just to, in, in terms of being saved, but in terms of serving as well. It's a matter of his grace. Otherwise, it's going to be me in the flesh, but I want him and his grace to function uh, through me. And so it's a wonderful thing when we think of God's grace. You know, First uh, Peter 4.10 talks about the manifold grace of God. And the, the word manifold there has the idea of the multi-splendored grace of God. The, the word could be variegated. Uh, you know, you look at a diamond various ways and it, it refracts the light uh, differently. Well, God's grace is like that. And so saving grace, but serving grace as well is what we, what we need day by day. And so his grace is there. Uh, the Christian life is a serious matter and we need to be strong uh, in that grace that he, he gives us. But he also talks about a strategy, the str- a strategic matter uh, in terms of the Christian life. And he, he talks about, verse 2, about what we do with what we know, right? We, we especially at the age of everybody here, uh, we know some things, uh, either because we've made mistakes and learned from our mistakes, or we've studied and learned from uh, the Word, or watched others and, and learned, but as we go on in life, uh, we have learned uh, some things. And uh, it's so important that we take what we've learned and pass it on. And so uh, here he talks, first of all, about what we've, what we've learned, the things he said, you've heard from me among many witnesses. And so Christian life is a life of, of learning. It should be. You know, uh, Peter says to us, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Right, Just as a baby wants that milk, we should have a desire for the word of God. And so we learn as we hear messages, as we uh, spend time in study and so on. Uh, it's interesting, listening is a, is a skill. We don't often think of that as a skill. We think maybe of 
preaching or public speaking as a skill, but I once took a course on communication at a college, and, and one of the lessons was on listening. Uh, now, you wives are thinking, none of my, my husband's never taken that course, I'm sure, but uh, my wife's shaking her head too. She doesn't believe I actually, I did pass that course too, but uh, believe it or not. But, uh, but it was very interesting, just the, the, the whole emphasis on being a good listener in conjunction with learning. And, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, for instance, uh, we, we typically, typically speak at about 70 to 80 words per minute, but our, our minds go at twice that speed, about 150 words a, a minute. And so uh, to discipline yourself to, uh, to properly listen. And, of course, if you write things down, it helps. If you can repeat what was said, uh, you know, after it was said, then that helps. It reinforces it. But it's certainly uh, a skill. And uh, women, one day your husband will be perfect, uh, but it won't happen till heaven. But uh, until then, uh, just live with what you've got. But uh, we we can learn to learn to listen and learn. So that's the first thing he says. What we what we uh, learn. But then he says you've got to live it as well. So it's not just what you've heard, uh, but what you've seen as well among many witnesses. And so what you've seen. And so our lives are a living testimony as well. As we live, uh, people watch us. And we talked about this last week, about the impact we have. And again, as we interact with, with people in various situations, most of life is pretty normal and pretty easy. It's, it's when there's something goes wrong, when there's some conflict, there's some difficulties, then that's when these things come out. And so... Uh, we learn what God wants, but we've got to live it. Uh, not just, you know, when things go good, but when the difficulties arise. Uh, we've got to uh, live, live it out. But then we got to have to leave it behind as well. And he talks about the importance of having uh, an impact on the next generation. In fact, he talks really about four generations. He talks about himself and others and Timothy, uh, or himself and Timothy, Faithful men who will teach others. So really, uh, four generations uh, passing on the the truth. And uh, I think to a large extent, we're losing some of that uh, in a lot of the Christian circles because, um, you know, young people have so many other things to do and, and so on. But if we, we're not investing as well, they're not going to, to learn these things. What I've found in, in life, uh, I've really sort of tried very very diligently and uh, worked at influencing lives of young men in particular. And often it's not uh, an extended period of time. Sometimes it's just short periods of time. We might have had people in, at camp on staff or uh, meet people at conferences and so on, but just taking the opportunity to, to interact and some guys have told me years later that, well, that conversation made a difference. Those few minutes made, made a difference. And so we don't know the impact we're going to have on somebody's life. But what we've learned and what we live out, we want to leave behind. It's a legacy. And so we want to pass it on. You don't know the outcome. None of us know what's going to happen. But we can control the input. We can be an encourager, enabler. And so 
That's what Paul says. So the, the, serious, the Christian life is a serious matter. We need God's grace. But here's the strategy. We want to see it go on generationally, go on to the next generation, the generation after that. But then he goes into these, these metaphors, this, these word pictures, what the Christian life is about. And he uses three word pictures in verse uh, 3 to to verse uh, 6. He talks about a soldier, he talks about an athlete, and then he talks about a, a farmer. And these, uh, these disciplines all involve something that's strenuous, right? So it's, it's serious and it's strategic, but it's also uh, strenuous. And so when you think of, of uh, somebody in the army, of course there's, there's discipline. I was uh, talking to a guy once, he was a corporal in the Serbian army, and uh, he had trainees come to, to work with him, and he had to train them and work with them. He said his opening line was, to them was, I'm your mother now. In other words, you listen and you behave. And uh, there was discipline, of course. And, uh, you know, we understand that, of course, when you look at the SEALs or the Marines or this, these types of things. You understand that there's uh, some extreme uh, discipline and, and hardship. Um, you look at athletes, and again, uh, one of the things we have done over the years at our camp is run a hockey camp. Uh, I know that seems foreign to people here in Florida, but as I mentioned, the captain of the hockey team in Kirkland Lake is from Coral Springs, Florida, so it does, it does happen, it can happen. But uh, we've had professional athletes and hockey players from the NHL and, and the league below at the AHL. And it's, uh, it's interesting sometimes to watch the discipline, uh, how they have to have so many uh, calories and so much protein in a day and the physical activity uh, they have to do. Uh, it's sort of exhausting just to watch sometimes. Uh, it wasn't for me, but... Some of these guys are, are very, very, well, all of them at that level are very, very disciplined and uh, work very, very hard at it. And then he mentions farmers. Now, I don't think Paul had in mind farming today so much as farming back then. There's very large farms, believe it or not, in northern Ontario. If you're traveling north, you come to a town called New Liskard, and then there's a clay belt, and there's, there's massive uh, farms way up there. But now, uh, and I assume it's true probably through the Midwest, uh, the tractors have GPSs on them, and uh, they're all programmed. And so they go in a straight line, and they cut, don't cut corners. They're able to do all these, these things. Uh, if you're sitting in a cab, of course, it's air-conditioned, and uh, you've got all the amenities and all this sort of stuff. Uh, in this area, and I'm sure it's true in the U.S., these tractors run 24 hours a day. They just keep keep going through the field. So the hardworking farmer is not in the picture we have in mind necessarily. But we lived in southern Ontario. You would see Amish people in the field uh, following a horse, a couple of horses with the, with the plow. And uh, that seems so strange to us uh, today. But that's, I think, what uh, Paul had in mind, the hardworking uh, farmer, uh, one who was uh, involved in this uh, strenuous activity. And so each of these pictures suggests something. But there's also something sacrificial uh, in these. 
there's, there's things that must go on. So in verse 3, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, right? Uh, we understand that, that uh, when you enlist, you are handing yourself over and you have to accept uh, hardships for sure. Uh, you can't be you know, running the affairs back at home. You can't be on the cell phone all day. Uh, they think that that one Russian um, barrack that got destroyed was because people were using their cell phones and the Ukrainians were able to pinpoint where the cell phones were were being used and were able to target that, that building. Well, of course, you can't do those sorts of things uh, in a battle. Uh, you can't you can't be running a business at home and fighting in the front front lines at the the same time. You can't uh, be entangled in the things of the world. And there is there certainly is hardship. Uh, I think most of you know who Dan Snadden was. His book was uh, Through the Valley of the Shadow of Death. It talks about his experience uh, in the Far East and then as a prisoner of war uh, under the Japanese. It's, it's a tremendous uh, book uh, recounting his uh, experience and certainly some of the hardships that were, uh, were involved in that. And so it is a, a thing that uh, calls for sacrifice. And again, uh, with athletics, it does call for, for sacrifice. Like going back again to uh, some of these guys we had at camp, we had a, uh, several times we had hockey players who, have just, who were just drafted. That is, they were just at 18 or 19 years old, so they've been playing what we call junior hockey, and now they're going to go to the NHL. And so one year we had a fellow, and we had to actually en- rent extra ice time so he could do his laps, and, and he'd go up and, and down. Uh, you know, they'd have uh, regime regiments that they had to follow, uh, the team would give them things about their diet and about the amount of exercise and sleep and all these things uh, they had to to do. And so very, very dedicated and, and disciplined. Uh, one year we had a guy named Mike Fisher. You might not know him, but you'd know his wife. Her name's Carrie Underwood. Uh, so he he came at nine, probably 18 or 19 years old. And again, he had this sheet that he had to had to follow of all the things that were required uh, of him, and so uh, there is this this idea of sacrifice. You have to give up something to do this. And uh, even the guys that we're involved with, they're on the ice all summer long. They don't they don't take a break. They're they're working all summer, and they're only playing at a, a level away down here. Not they'll never play pro hockey or anything. But there is that that sacrificial aspect to it. And then. In agriculture, again, uh, traditionally, it certainly was a matter of hard work. You think of farmers in the old days up early in the morning, you know, you had cows to milk or whatever, lots of things to do. It was sacrificial, uh, that type of of work, that type of of industry. And so when you think of the, the Christian life, he says, here's some of the things that you need to reflect on. You need to uh, remember uh, these things to focus on these things that there is this this plan this purpose and it's like a going into a battle and it takes a commitment 
and you need God's grace. Uh, you need to be willing to sacrifice. Uh, you want to have a strategy. I'm going to pass it on to others. But ultimately, he said, there's something satisfying about it. This life, he says, is worth living. And he paints some pictures that tells us why it's, why it's so satisfying. And it's satisfying, he says, because as a good soldier, uh, we want to please him who enlisted us. That's really what it is about, isn't it? Pleasing him, to live for him, and to bring glory to his name. And so Colossians 3.17 tells us that everything we do should be for him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us that his glory should be our object. All that I do should be for him and for his glory. And so ultimately, of course, the satisfaction in that sense comes that if I please him, I will get that well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's going to acknowledge what's been done for him. Second Peter 1.11 talks uh, about an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom, that royal welcome done to those who have functioned as good soldiers and have pleased him who enlisted them. And so when you think of, again, the, the hardship, but there is a reward at the end. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus, won't it? And so that's where it's going. And so he says that's, uh, that's what it is, to, to know him and to live for him and to please him is certainly worthwhile in this life. But there's also a prize to be won. And so with the athlete, he talks about competing uh, according to the rules. Now, in those days, there were two games. There was what was called the Olympic Games at Athens, and then there was the Isthmus Games at Corinth. And athletes would go, and of course, they weren't rewarded with millions of dollars or uh, you know, advertising contracts and all those things. But they apparently had to take an oath. And the oath was that they had practiced and disciplined in certain ways. Uh, and so I, today, I doubt if you could, you could depend on people telling the truth. But uh, the idea was that uh, you know, before you competed, you had to have so many months of training, of discipline, of various things. And then you came to the games and you, you took an oath that, yes, I've done those things. But we know also that even uh, in modern eras, People have cheated. I remember that woman who won the Boston Marathon. She ran a little bit, took the subway, got off, and uh, finished first in the in the race. I forget her name, but she went down in uh, not history but infamy uh, because of what she did. And so you can be disqualified, and it happens often in the Olympics. Now they do drug tests, and people are disqualified, and uh, the medals are awarded to, to somebody uh, somebody else. But they did it for a laurel wreath. It wasn't, there was no gold involved, no silver, no bronze. Uh, there was the acknowledgement when they got back to their hometown that they had been a victor. But they were competing for the prize, but they had to compete according to the rules. But there was a prize uh, to win. And so for us too, the prize again is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's the well done, thou good and faithful servant. What a wonderful accolade to be given 
at the end of our life, if that's true of us, that he rewards us in that way. And then for the farmer, uh, the thought is that he gets to partake of the, of the, the crop of what he's planted. Um, Jay and Darby, has a, he, he must labor before he's a partaker of the crop. But that's the, the view. Even in, in communist systems where everything goes back to the state, the farmer still has access to some of what he has, he has grown. And of course, uh, it's probably true today with eggs, right? <laughs> if you can afford eggs. Uh, I assume we'll have pancakes without eggs on Saturday. But if uh, the farmer is going to make sure he gets and his family gets what they need before he's going to sell it outside of, of that. And so there's a reward for the, uh, the work. Uh, he gets a return on his investment. It's not a money investment, but it's a time investment. But he gets, to, he gets a return on that. And so, so we get to share in what the Lord is doing, the work of the Lord. And that's, that's the reward as well. As we invest uh, in his service, we get to share in what he is, he is doing. So when Paul says, reflect or consider, think on these things. Keep these in our minds, that the Christian life does have, have a purpose. And God doesn't leave us to our own devices, but he gives us grace that we need to live that life. But in living that life, we want to impact the lives of others. We want to pass on. We want to touch the lives of others. Now, obviously, we have different spheres. Some of us are in contact with far more people. Some of us are very uh, limited in our sphere of influence. But wherever we are, he says, that's the strategy. We want to pass on what we have learned uh, to others that can in turn pass it on uh, again. And he says, it doesn't just happen. It involves a strenuous and sacrificial aspect to, to life. And he gives us these word pictures that describe that. But ultimately, he says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus, right? Uh, at the end of the, the day, at the end of the race, it will be worth it all when we see him. And so uh, just a little encouragement. Your life matters. Your life counts. And you don't know as you you know come across people you don't know the influence you are going to have. We talked last week uh, about the fact that uh, so often uh, in people come getting saved, there's a number of contacts. Rarely does somebody get saved the first time they've heard the gospel. It takes numerous people. But it's the same in Christian growth. You might encourage somebody, and somebody else encourages them as well, and something else happens. And you might be just one in a chain, but perhaps someday they'll look back or perhaps in heaven will tell you, you know, this made a difference in my life. Uh, that event, those words, whatever it is, made a difference. I remember uh, once, I don't know why I did this. I never did it again, never did it before. I was quite young and uh, just met a guy coming into the chapel the, just before the Lord's Supper. And uh, for whatever reason, I said to him, uh, what have you enjoyed this week that you're going to give to the Lord? And I, I mean, I was maybe 22, 23, and he was probably 19 or 20. And he didn't answer me. But he said years later, from that day on, he never came to the Lord's Supper without something to offer. You don't know what the Lord uh, can use. And so uh, life is worth living. 
but invest in people. Let's close the word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we just thank you for this description of the Christian life. And certainly, it is a life worth living, and we want to be involved in the things that matter to you. And you describe through Paul the things that are important, uh, passing on a legacy to others. And uh, you give us some of the, the imagery that involves a, a cost, a sacrifice, you know, to be involved in that work. But ultimately, it's your work. And we do want to please the one who has enlisted us. We do want to, to win that prize of the well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so, Father, just encourage us uh, from these, these verses and help us to live them out in our daily life. Watch over us as we separate. Uh, take us home in safety with a sense of your presence. For we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.